Uh, it's great to see you this morning. Fantastic to see you. Uh, my name is Ben, as Stephen's already said, and uh, one of the leaders here. And it's, uh, it's a real privilege to be together this morning, to look at this passage together. Um, can I just say, really well work. If, you, if you're back from some far-off country, it's so good to see you. And uh, I hope for you it's good to see us um, and to be back to uh, uh, normal church life. And... Um, uh, if, 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 you're, if you're visiting us, it's great to see you as well. Um, just to say, as we look at the sermon, we, 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 afterwards we have a kind of a discussion time. And there's, if you're into taking notes, there's a sermon handout. And on the back, um, there's just something you can jot down. Something you might want to ask a question about or talk about afterwards. That's absolutely fine. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just a chance to comment or to talk or to ask a question. So just to be mindful of that, uh, what we're going to do is just before um, we have a look at this, we'll pray again and we'll pray for us here in this room. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much uh, for your word. We praise you that you are a God who is good, whose love endures forever. And uh, we pray, Father, that um, as we come to this word this morning, we would see, uh, we would see you clearly and we would see ourselves very clearly as well. Um, Father, we pray that by your Spirit, you would uh, work in our hearts to uh, have a greater love for you and uh, to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. How are we to, to worship God? How is it that we are to worship God. Uh, we, we had started to think about this last week, so last Sunday, and in home groups, we started to think about that question, because last week we saw that's what the people were coming to do, they were coming to worship God. And so we kind of, you know, we kind of talked about things where we say, well, we worship God by coming here to sing, and to pray, and to hear God's word. Uh, more than that, um, you know, the, the Bible really clearly says that our worship of God is actually worked out towards one another. That's, um, that was uh, one of the ways we worshipped God. So we give ourselves to one another, uh, we love one another, we carry one another's burdens, we belong to one another. Practically, that's how we do it. That's how we worship, <clears throat> that's how we build the church. And at this point, I guess we might then think, well, I've asked this question, I've just answered it. Um, the thing is, it's just not that simple. You know, it's not simple as having a list of things to do. And you think, okay, I've done these things, so I'm worshipping God. So you just, just think about that. Think about, um, uh, uh, let's call this guy Simon, um, completely fictitious. Um, what happens is, it's Friday... He's had a tough week at work. Uh, he's on his way home. Um, and he, he knows that his, his wife has taken out his two kids to, to a friend's house. So he's looking forward. He, he's, he can't wait to get home and just crash out on the sofa, you know, um, catch up with some TV, having some downtime. But then when he walks through the door, it's not what he expected. His wife is there, and um, uh, straight away she, tell him, she tells him that she, she's not feeling very well, and she needs to lay down. So suddenly, 
There's no crashing out, there's no TV, there's no downtime. Simon needs to look after his wife, he needs to cook the dinner for his tired and hungry children who are going mental, and uh, get them to bed, clean the house, get to bed himself, etc., etc. Now he does this, of course, he steps up to this, and you look at him from the outside, and you, you, you think, well, look, here's a guy who's sacrificing his time, putting others before himself, loving sincerely. You know, on one, one level, those, those things, you know, he's doing those things that the Bible calls him to. But you can't see what he's thinking. See, inwardly, he's, he's angry. And you know, he's thinking to himself, I can't believe this. Cannot believe that this has happened. I've got so many other things that I can be doing. I deserve a rest. This is unfair. Why is this happening? See, he's doing what the Bible calls him to do. He's doing that, but he's not even thinking about God. He's not worshipping God. He's thinking about himself. Or uh, consider, you know, Think about this a different way. Consider a girl called Charlotte. She is so excited to tell others about Jesus. She gets along her non-Christian work colleagues. Uh, she invests time in them. She builds friendships. She, she prays for them. Eventually, she, yeah, this one colleague, she gets to open the Bible with, with her. And this is really exciting. And the work colleague looks at, at Jesus Christ for some weeks and shows real interest, wants to keep meeting. Charlotte is so happy about this. She's telling everybody at church. And yet two months down the line, the work colleague shows up for their kind of their Bible study to say without any explanation, I don't want to look at Jesus Christ anymore and I don't want to know you. And Charlotte, you know, that week she, she goes to church and she stands and she sings of God's faithfulness and goodness and people look at her and think wow you know this, this this lady really worships God and yet no one can see that she's thinking I, I just can't believe that happened you know, what, what, where is God what was he doing I invested all of that time and I got nothing back or think about um, think about Anna Anna goes to church uh, and she sees someone who's lonely and difficult uh, to get on with and uh, she puts herself out. She goes and listens to them. She even invites them around to lunch. Um, she's doing what the Bible calls her to do, you know? But, yeah, she looks like she's worshipping God and yet no one can see her thinking, I really hope that everybody can see me doing this because I really think they're going to think more of me you see, so, so, so easily we, we can kind of tick all the right boxes, we can do all the right things without actually worshipping God at all. And so the question we're asking this week is, well, how do we do that? Yeah, how do we truly worship God? And what is it we need to worship God through all the ups and downs, genuinely and consistently? Well, last week we saw... Uh, as I said, that the, the people wanted to worship God. That's the why they were coming up. Uh, so they've been sent away to exile, as Stephen mentioned, for their sin. The, the temple has been destroyed. That was their meeting place where they met God. And Ezra is all about the people returning to rebuild. And um, we've said this is kind of like our very own episode of uh, DIY SOS or, uh, you know, um, 
grand designs or something. It's effectively a building project. That's what you see. And last week, we saw the people come up. They're wanting to worship God. They really want to do this. And, um, of course, that's what we want to do too, isn't it? You know, we have our own building project. We're called to build the church. This is our temple, one made of people. And if our purpose is to worship God, this week we're thinking about what we need in order to do that. There's two answers for us here as the people begin to build. Uh, and this chapter, uh, this is a chapter where, where it all starts. And um, we see the way they go about it is the key for us to thinking about what, what it is it we need to build the church to the glory of God, worshipping him. So two things. The first one is right priorities. Right uh, priorities. That's the first thing we see. Right priorities. So the people come up, and their task, what God has asked them to do, is rebuild the temple. But as the work begins, the temple is not the first thing the people start to build. Just have a look at verse 1 with me. Um, It says, When the seventh month came, and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people were assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of uh, uh, Jezadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Sheatel, and his associates, began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. You see, the first thing they build is the altar. Now, if you don't know what what that is, it's it's a big, it's kind of like this big stone table. It wasn't in the temple itself. So it's in the temple court. So you kind of have this, you know, you have this big building and uh, it's like having this big building and out there, kind of in the car park, in in the front garden, you build this big uh, stone table. And if you're wondering why you would build such a thing, the the answer is there in verse 2, isn't it? It is to, uh, did you see that? In order to uh, sacrifice burnt offerings. So you see, you'd have this big stone table and people would bring an animal and they would sacrifice it, kill it, and they would burn it. And this was the way in the Old Testament that you would receive forgiveness for your sin. This is, this is how they were made clean and acceptable before God. See, they build the altar to get right with God. Now this was so important that they, they did this. Do you see verse 3? Despite the fear of the peoples around them. Yeah, they needed... They saw this as a need. They needed forgiveness. The the place was full of foreign enemies. They wouldn't have liked what was going on. And yet the people did it anyway. Now not only did they receive forgiveness, but they also then celebrate. Have a look at verse 4. Then, in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the festival of tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. Now the festival of tabernacles was a time when people would remember their rescue from Egypt. So with the altar there, you see, they're not just coming to God saying, we need forgiveness. Then, they are doing that, but then they're celebrating the fact that God gives it. That God is their saviour, their rescuer. And not only their saviour, 
but also their God. Once they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, we read in verse 5, after that, they presented regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices and the sacrifices for all the appointed sacred festivals of the Lord, as well as, as those brought as free will offerings. See, there were many appointed festivals and they're celebrating all of them. The Lord had told them to do this uh, collectively as a way of remembering that God was their God, that he was faithful and that he was God over them. So do you see, like, what's going on here is the people are, they've built this altar and they're using it to turn from themselves and turn to God, to be cleansed from their sin, to celebrate their salvation, to remember their God. That's what they're doing. But what the author wants us to see is that is their priority. Have a look at verse 6. On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the temple had not yet been laid. Do you see, that's amazing. Because when you have a job to do, you go and do it. Especially when God goes and tells you to do something, you get on and do it. You know, I mean, that's what happens with normal building project programs, isn't it? You think of DIS SOS, you, you see these people swarming to this, this, this building, they've all got particular jobs, and they get there, they know what they need to do, and they just go for it, don't they? You know, they, they, they just non-stop, go, 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 do, do, do. And of course, that's what we're expecting here. You know, we're coming up to build the temple, get on and build the temple. Get on and do it. But what we see is their priority is to go to God. Before they touch the temple, they get right with him, they celebrate him, and they remember who he is. Now, whilst that might be a surprise to us, that's right for us, isn't it? Isn't that a right priority? Now, of course, the way we do that looks different. So we, we, don't need, we don't need a stone table, okay? We don't need to continuously, um, uh, you know, no one here this morning has turned up with a, a cow from somewhere over there and, uh, you know, to kill it, to sacrifice it, to burn it. You know, we, we don't need to do that. That's because Jesus is our sacrifice. He's the ultimate sacrifice. You know, as he offered his own body, our sin was dealt with once and for all. And his people are made right with God forever. It's all done. And yet, knowing that, you know, knowing that Jesus has done it all and he's our sacrifice, that means actually we should continuously come to him. We should confess our sin. We should celebrate the forgiveness that we know. We should live for God as God. It's absolutely right that we do that. The question for us is, is that our priority? You know, we, we, we live hectic lives, we, we're contactable almost anywhere, we long to progress and do and do and do, and in amongst all of that, our priority should be turning to God. 
and turning to him, what we see here is a very specific way, isn't it? It's not, this is not the kind of thing, well, look, I've got this done, Lord, so help me to get this done. No, this is, help me, God, because I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. Thank you, God, for my salvation. Praise you for Jesus Christ, my sacrifice. Help me to know that you're the only person worth living for. And we need that, don't we, particularly when it comes to building our temple, the church. You know, before we engage in any kind of service towards others, before we, we go to home group, before we teach in Sunday school, before we you know, talk to people in a prayer meeting, before we have fellowship over lunch, before we speak the gospel, we need to turn to God and know the gospel in our own hearts. That's how we really begin to worship God. Now just look, think about the difference that makes with, um, with Simon. So if, if, um, you know, if he comes home and he's mindful, so if, if he comes home and he's thinking to himself, forgive me for my sin. You know, if he's mindful that he's a sinner, the, the point that his evening goes out the window Actually, he knows his wife and children are not his biggest problem. Yeah, his leisure time is not something he deserves. He deserves the wrath of God. Yeah, to, to sort out his household is, no, is, is a small hindrance in comparison to that. If Simon comes home <coughs> celebrating his salvation, you know, thank you, Jesus, for, for saving me, then actually he knows that his, his TV is not his saviour. His TV didn't die for him. He's not going to miss anything without it. You see, his mindset is different, and so his reaction is different, because he put that as a priority, and so when he gets in, he does these things, but actually he does them with a genuine heart that is just rejoicing in the fact that God has saved him. Well, think about... Um, Anna, she, she comes to church mindful that actually God is her God. And so she's out to please him, not others. She's so amazed at what he's done that actually she does her acts of kindness, but she does them for completely different reasons. Now look, of course, whilst we have an individual responsibility to make that our priority, so th those are examples where that, you know, people individually turn to God, make that habit, Actually, one of the striking things about this passage is the people do this together. Just have a look at verse 1. So when the seventh month, and the, uh, seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one. And then they do all of this. See, that's how they're doing this. This is how this should be done. So if you struggle, like if, if, you, if, if, if that example of Simon for you is totally unrealistic, for whatever reason, if, if you're so short of time that to meaningfully remind yourself of the gospel before you, before you engage in, you know, in helping others and towards others, then, then the answer is make the most of this time. Yeah. Isn't this what we do on a Sunday? You know, together, as, as one, we, we have a time of confession. We rejoice in our salvation. We remember that God is God. And 
I, I think sometimes our, our problem is we often view this time as, as the time where we build the church. Now, of course, building happens here, but, but why not think of it the other way around? This, this is the time where we get right with God. This is the time where we turn to God. And then all the building work is done throughout the week as you go out and you live your lives. Now, either way, going to God is a right priority for us. Yeah, we, we must turn to him to know him and to worship him. And then as we build, we must do so with the right expectations. This is the second thing we, we see. This is the final thing we see this morning. <clears throat> so you've got right priorities. Priority is to go to God before they build. And then the second thing we see is the right expectations. Right expectations. It's the second thing we see. So... <clears throat> Having gone to God, the people now, they, they do now start building the temple. And what we realise, as is, is you, is you read this, you realise that the people are working to a script. Okay, it, it, the temple had been destroyed. Right, so there, there was a temple that had been destroyed. And that one had been built by a guy called King Solomon. But all the instructions were given for this temple, were given by King David. You know, there's, it's like there's a manual for this, and you can read it in 1 Chronicles chapters 22 to 29. What's happening is, is David is like the, he's kind of like the Nick Niles of um, uh, Ezra. You know, he, he's, he's the guy who's directing everything. Um, he's saying, this is how the temple is to be built. This is how things are to be done. And what we see here is that as the rebuilding gets underway, it, it's done in exactly the same way as King David told them to. So, David brought, if you look at what 1 Chronicles 22-29, you'll see David brought resources from Tyre and Sidon. That's what you see in verse 7. Then they gave the money to the masons, carpenters, they gave food and drink and olive oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre. So these resources come from exactly the same place. And once they're in place, what happened was David recruited Levites, men of 20 years old and upwards, and um, that was when you, you were considered ready to serve and uh, uh, they're the, the, they're, they were the people who assisted the priests. Okay? So the Levites would have made sure that the temple was built in the right way that you could have access to God. And so David said that the Levites are to supervise this building. That they're to be in charge. And that's exactly what you see here in verse 8 and 9. In the second month, the second year, after their arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem, Jeroboam, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, the son of Jezebel, and the rest of the people, the priests and the Levites, and all who had returned from the captivity began the work. They appointed Levites, 20 years old and older, to supervise. And then that's exactly what you see happening in verse 9. So they appointed them, and then all the Levites joined together in supervising the house of God. And as the first temple was built, as it was kind of finished, specific musicians were put in place, and what happened was the people would sing and they'd praise God. And specifically, they'd, they'd say, his, God is good and his love endures forever. And that's exactly what you see here. You even see the author telling us that this is what David has told them. Have a look at verse 10. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to the praise of the Lord as prescribed by King David of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love towards Israel endures forever. And as the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord, 
sorry, and all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So there you have it. The foundation of this house is laid and all the people are praising God. And so they should be because King David is gone, but this is a true restoration. The temple is being built just as it was built under him. Yeah, so this, this temple, it, it really is. It really is the place where God came to live. It, it, it is where they met with him and knew God. And so as the foundation is laid, people realise this. They realise that God is keeping all of his promises. God is rebuilding his temple. God is restoring his people. So despite all the, all the years in exile, God really is good and his love really does endure forever. They're seeing this before their eyes. You know, they've barely started building. Here is just the foundation, and yet there is reason to rejoice. God is keeping his promises because the, the temple is exactly as it was before. And yet, that's not the only response we see. Just have a look at verse 12. But... Many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple, they wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the, sounds of, uh, sorry, the sound of shouts of joy from the sound of weeping. You see, this is, this is, like, this is a building project. It's like that... Um, I think it's stopped now, you know, but it, it's like that um, thing, changing rooms, isn't it? You know, the one where uh, kind of people come in and um, what they do is they, they, change a, they change a room for, for a couple um, and, uh, you know, the, 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 the owners come back in and see that their room is now kind of covered in purple zebra stripes or, or something. And one of them is absolutely thrilled. They're like, yes, this is brilliant. And the other is in tears because they think it's so awful. And that's what you see here. The foundation is laid. There's joy, and there's also weeping. There's joy because they know that God is is faithful to them, but why is there weeping? If that's the reason that there's joy, if God is faithful, why are people in tears? We're not actually told specifically here in this text, but the most likely reason is it's all to do with their expectations. So what happened was when the people were in exile, a prophet came to them called Ezekiel and he promised that this would happen. He promised that the temple would be built, promised that the, 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 the people would come back, temple would be restored. And what happens is he sets out this vision of the new temple and you can read all about this in, in Ezekiel 38 to 47, almost 10 chapters describing this, this thing. And you see, if you were to go and read those, what is really, really clear is that new temple will have a greater glory than the previous one. It speaks of this full and everlasting and final restoration. A a glorious, much more glorious temple where God would dwell with them in great glory and be with them forever. And so you see, that's what they're expecting as they return. And the people rejoicing, they think, that's what's happening. 
But for those who saw the previous temple, they look at this foundation and they just realise it's not the temple that Ezekiel has promised. It's just the same as the last one. This is not the final restoration they were expecting. This is not the end. So they weep. Now look, it's not wrong for them to do that, uh, to weep. It's not wrong for the people to rejoice. Yeah, the next response simply means that, that whilst God is keeping his promises, whilst, whilst God does remain faithful, this is not the end. This is not the perfection that they hoped for. There, there is more glory in view. There is something much, much bigger to come. And the people just suddenly realise this. That, if anything, they, they had the wrong expectation. But do you see, seeing this here helps us to build the church with the right expectations. Because this is exactly where we are now. See, Jesus Christ has come, he, he, he's died and he rose again to save us, to restore us as people. As, as, um, as we've been singing, he is the foundation of the church. And as we're built up in him, what we can see before us, so if you look around, the, we, we are testimonies of God keeping his promises, that God would build his church. You, know, you, you look at ourselves and you think, yes, that God is faithful. The fact that this church exists means God is, God is good and he is faithful and his love endures forever. And yet we know, don't we, that this, this is a pale reflection of something more to come. Yet a day where his people, his church will be gathered around his throne with him and God will be with them forever. You see, we, God is good now, and, and, and yet, we're not fully restored. And, you know, we, if we go about building the church with that expectation, knowing that that is where we are, then we'll... We, we can genuinely worship God through all the ups and downs. So on one hand, we, we know that God is work. You know, God is at work. We, we, we can expect that to, to grow in our love of Christ. We can expect to grow in our love for one another. We can expect, we ought to expect to see people saved in this community because our faithful God is at work. And yet, we're not, we're not there. Not everything is perfect. And so, we ought to expect to face rejection. And opposition. We ought to expect to let one another down. We ought to expect to see people come to Christ and then just give up. And you see, it's only as you have those right expectations that we can worship God through it all. Yeah, wouldn't this have made a difference to, to Charlotte? Think, think about her. As, as her work colleague rejects her and comes in and says, do you know what, I, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. Well, actually Charlotte praises God anyway because she knows that rejection is completely normal. Because we're not in a perfect world. We're not, we're not there yet. 
And she doesn't give up because she knows that, that even though we're not there yet, the gospel is still true. God is still at work. Or, you know, with the right expectations, Simon knows that his wife will be ill. You know, that's normal in a broken world. So, and his hope is not in relaxation, it's in the promised world to come. It's in Christ. So even as he takes on this burden and he makes this sacrifice, he's praising God. And you see, as we build this church, we worship God truly with the right expectations, right up until the point where we worship him completely, fully, in glory. Let's pray together.